Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of spiritual maturity. Each of us as Christians have the incredible privilege of knowing the truth of God's Word and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What a privilege. We're to grow in our faith, we're to develop in our faith, we're to mature in our faith. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, problem for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly furnished into every good work. How long have you known Jesus Christ? Are you living up to that? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What does it take to play your heartstrings? In other words, how deep is your love for your friends and family who do not yet have a saving relationship with God? Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to his study in the book of Romans as he draws out the Apostle Paul's love for his fellow countrymen while reminding us to follow the Lord with all our heart and to look out for the lost as well. Let's join him for today's study. Romans 9, in the message entitled, Lovingly Committed to Israel. The Apostle Paul has proclaimed the gospel of grace to the Roman Christians, making it clear that both Jew and Gentile must come to God on the same basis, faith in Jesus Christ. And so here the Apostle Paul gives his genuine proclamation of his love for Israel, which is verified by three facts. First, in verse 1, Paul's oath regarding Israel, his oath. Secondly, verse 2 and 3, Paul's passion regarding Israel. And then 4 and 5, Paul's list of privileges regarding Israel. Look at verse 1. The oath of Paul is based, first of all, declaring the truth in Christ. Underline that. I tell the truth in Christ. And the truth that Paul is going to talk about is the salvation of the Jew. In verse 2, the passion of Paul is marked by the great sorrow of his heart for his kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jews here, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Paul used to be like them. He was enemy number one for the Christian. He killed Christians. He imprisoned Christians. He caused Christians to blaspheme. The indicated reason for such sorrow and grief is clearly stated. They had not sought, as he goes on, chapter 9, verse 32. They had not sought salvation by faith but works. That's his pain. In chapter 9, 33, they stumbled at Christ. In 10, 3, they were ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, therefore not submitting to the righteousness of God. What pain in the heart of Paul. Now notice verse 3. The passion of Paul is marked by being willing to be a curse from Christ for the salvation of the Jew. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. The proclamation of Paul regards his love for Israel. The indication of the wish of Paul regards intercessory love. Look at the phrase, I could wish. It means to pray to God. To pray for with the idea of sincerity and willingness. Yet, the imperfect tense here in the Greek indicates that Paul knew the impossibility and that such possibility was not necessary. In other words, he's saying, I, I could wish myself and I would, but it's not necessary and it's not even possible because God doesn't swap. Everybody has to come through Christ. You understand? But he's demonstrating his heart. You say to your children, and they're being rebellious, say, I would die for you, but I'm going to smack you right now. 
Now, it doesn't mean you're going to die. You're willing to, and if necessary, and if you did lay down for your child, that wouldn't get him into heaven. It might save him here from dying with you. So Paul is saying, that's how much I love them, though I know it's not necessary, it's not even possible. But he's burying his heart, you understand? He has just stated there's no condemnation those in Christ Jesus. You only come to God through Christ. Paul used it when he addressed Agrippa, the very same word, to express his prayer desire that all present would be like him as a Christian, except for the chains in Acts 26, 29. I wish to God you all were present here, like I, except for these chains. What's Paul saying? I wish you were saved. He's laying the gospel on him. John uses it to pray for the believer's prosperity and, and his good health in 3 John 2, as his soul prospered. It's a prayer that the willingness that, that, that it would happen now in the context of Paul is not necessary. Because we're talking about the atonement for God to accept the person. Now notice the commendation to Paul regards the severe consequence to himself by his prayer of love. And the petition is a demonstration of, um, of his selflessness, evident of the extent of his love for Israel, as I said, for his kinsmen, which is Israel, for his uh, brethren, which is Israel. According to the flesh, which is Israel. All these phrases, they speak about Israel, the nation. This is the context of 9, 10, 11. Israel is a nation, the remnant. Yes, it's made up of individuals, but the focus is nation, the remnant. Now, the petition is an expression of sacrificial love, much like Christ, to be a curse from Christ. And the word of curse, as you know, is anathema. It's the strongest word of damnation in the Greek it corresponds to the Hebrew word of devoted things to God for destruction, unredeemable. In Leviticus 27, 28, Joshua 6, 17, and even Ezra 10, 8. The word in the Greek is the strongest word for damnation, and it means to be doomed and separated from Christ, a curse to perdition. It's found in Acts 23, 14, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, 1 Corinthians 16, 22, and don't forget Galatians 1, 8, and 9. Well, Paul says it twice. If we or an angel or anyone else come and preaches you any other gospel, heteros, of a different kind, heterosexual, male, female, heteros, let him be anathema. That includes us, angels, or anyone else. Do you think Paul's serious about the narrowness of getting to heaven? <laughs> The petition was the willingness to be separated from Christ for all eternity for the benefit of others who did not deserve it, though it's not possible nor necessary, for Christ is the ultimate substitute, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, no one else. Jesus is our substitute on the cross, and Paul desired that if possible, he could be that substitute for his brethren, but it's not, it's not necessary. He's bearing his heart. His passion is for the lostness of the nation. That's the context, not individuals, the remnant. And so the petition is much like the petition of Moses. You remember Moses when we went through Exodus? Exodus 32, 31 through 33, where God there was ready to wipe out Israel. At the foot of the mountain, they made the golden calf. And God says, get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to wipe them out, make a new nation, and start all over again. So, God, if you can't forgive them, blot my name out of the book of life. Whoa. Incredible prayer of Moses and of Paul. 
But we have to ask the question, was the prayer sourced in Paul and in God? Of course not. Because if we say that that prayer was sourced in Moses, then we have to confess that Moses was more compassionate than God. And then Moses had to talk God to be merciful. I can't buy that. Paul's petition and proclamation is great. But where did that love come from? Where did the petition come from? Listen to me. Prayer always begins with God. And he lays it in your heart. So you can lift up the few things that he wants to do. Otherwise, are you, are you better than God? Come on. We're perfect in the pit of hell. <laughs> True prayer always begins with God. Remember, many misunderstood Paul. He spoke against philosophy. He spoke against religion. He spoke against Judaism. He focused only on Christ. Many enemies. Having loving passion for others is having love for them that is greater than for ourselves. And the willingness to sacrifice our own life if need be without hesitation for the gospel. No greater example is the passion of Christ. Wow. I'm to be like my master, right? The personal attacks that, um, that come with being a Christian are many. And uh, they will grieve our hearts. Family members will accuse you of um, betraying them, changing your religion when you become a Christian. That only causes you to love them more and to pray for them. It grieves your heart, but you have the joy knowing that God is able to save them if they're willing. And you know that God honors prayer. And you know that God will always give them a choice. They will think and tell you that you think you're better than them. They will accuse you of judging them. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 35 through 38. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If you look at the sayings of Jesus, you would think he's anti-family, but in fact he isn't. What he's saying is that the only way you can really love your family to the ultimate is to be a Christian and love them in the love of God. You see? As a Christian, you've got to obey God. Either you're for God or you're against him. As a Christian, sometimes we're closer as family, as Christians in our natural families, they become enemies. It happens. Our priorities are different now in Christ. Matthew 12, 30 says, He who is not for me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Are you a Christian? Do you stand for Christianity? The passion of our love for those who do not know Christ must be directed in prayer to God. That's the first place. Prayer is an obligation and marks our attitude of complete dependency on God. Samuel, remember, they were upset at him because they had chosen Saul. And, and Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 23, um, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord and cease praying for you. It's a sin not to pray. Men are always to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18, 1 tells us. Reverse it. Men lose heart because they don't pray. 
the genuine proclamation of Paul's love was marked by his passion regarding Israel. Do you have passion? you have passion for the lost? Are your family, your friends? Look at 4 and 5, thirdly. Paul's list of privileges regarding Israel. First, Paul says that they were Israelites. Um, this marks as na- the identity of their nationality, a theocracy ruled by God. Uh, Israel means uh, God prevails or governed by God, ruled by God. And Jacob had uh, his name changed in Genesis 32, 24, as he wrestled with the angel of the Lord that night. Remember, he made him halt on his leg, and he uh, was always limping. The name was given to Jacob. And there in Genesis 32, 24 through 28, the name Jacob means heel catcher, sir planner. When he was born, he was held a hold of his brother's heel. He was a conniver. He was he always looking at himself. He is a jive guy. He's a flim-flam man. His name was shame to govern by God. You see? Self-will, spirit will. Big difference. Next, Paul says that they had obtained adoption to whom pertains the adoption. It's theirs. The word adoption means the placing of a son to whom it doesn't naturally belong. Abraham was a Babylonian, or a Chaldees. And he called them make a nation of him. God called Israel his firstborn and commanded Pharaoh to let them go in Exodus 4.22. God declared that they were the children of the Lord, their God, in Deuteronomy 14.1. And in Jeremiah 31.9, God declared that he was the father of Israel and Ephraim was his firstborn. Hosea 11.1, 1, God said he called his son out of Egypt. Amos 3.2, God declared that only Israel had, he had known out of all the families of the earth. Adoption. What a privilege. You know, when you have a kid, you go to the hospital, you don't like him, you got to take him home. He's yours. <laughs> but when you adopt someone... You look at them. You choose them. You choose to take them home. What a high privilege. Notice also Paul said they had obtained the glory of God. There are many appearances of God. um, Some visible manifestation that give evidence of his presence called theophanies, the cloud, the fire, stuff like that. That's a theophany. Opposite to that, they're called Christophanies when God appeared in a human form as an angel and those are called Christophany because that's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. John 1.18 says, No one has revealed the Father but Jesus Christ. So whenever God appears in the Old Testament as the, as the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus Christ before the incarnation. All right? But the theophany is here, the reference to the Shekinah glory that we read about in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord appeared again in the burning bush, a theophany, Exodus 3.2, in the fire. The Lord led the children of Israel through a pillar uh, of fire by night, a cloud by day, Exodus 13.21. Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel saw the glory of God in the mountain, and they ate and they drank with God, Exodus 24.10. They saw some manifestation of theophany because no man can see God literally and live. But they saw there was something he veiled himself with the cloud, with the fire, to give the, press, the evidence that he was present. At the raising of the tabernacle, the cloud covered the tabernacle, as you know, in Exodus 40, 34 through 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle. 
If you go all the way to the days of Solomon in 1 King in chapter 8, all the priests were singing and praising God, offering sacrifices, and, Moses, and, and Solomon's offering the prayers and everything else and dedicating the temple, and the Shekinah glory of God filled it, and everybody ran out. They couldn't stay in there. The glory, that belonged to Israel. And then Paul says they obtained the covenants. It's plural. Now, he's talking basically about patriarchs, but if you go the first covenant he made was Adam and Eve. They weren't to eat of the fruit of the tree, right? That's a covenant. They disobeyed. Noah covenant. Get in the boat. I'll save you. The whole world died. I will not destroy the world again by fire. Genesis 6 through 9. Then the covenant of the patriarchs. God made Abraham to leave his family. Called him out. Didn't make him, but called him out. And he came. God would make a nation of him. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He elaborates and expands it in Genesis 15, 18, and many, many other areas through Genesis. God made a covenant with Isaac that he would be the heir according to promise. God made a covenant with Jacob through his sons. Genesis 28. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. If we keep on going, after the patriarchs, you have the covenant that God made with David in 2 Samuel 7, that it would be through his seed that the Messiah would come. And then you have the new covenant with Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31, Ezekiel 36, 26, the new covenant that we have entered into. Yet that new covenant still is going to be fulfilled with Israel. The book of Hebrews speaks about it. Jeremiah speaks about it. When Christ returns, they will accept their Messiah. And then notice Paul says that they had obtained the giving of the law. All these are the great privileges of Israel. The law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, for the benefit of society. Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy 5, the 10 words, the 10 commandments. The vertical relationship first, then the horizontal. The statutes, the judgments, the ordinances, book of Exodus, book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the second of the law. They go over them again. The law was to be a tutor to bring us to Christ, Paul says in Galatians 3.24. It was to fade away like the veil over, God's, over Moses' face. It was temporary. Everything in the Old Testament spoke of Christ. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. The book of Hebrews says that, chapter 10, verse 5 through 7, quoting Psalm 40, 6 through 8. Everything in the Old Testament. In fact, John tells us the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19, 10. Every article in the tabernacle, as you, if you were with us when we went through Leviticus, speaks of Christ. The wood spoke of his humanity. The brass speaks of judgment. The silver speaks of redemption. The gold speaks of deity. You have God who's going to become man, become the sin of the world, be judged by God. The Father upon the Son to redeem mankind. Amazing. Who did it belong to? Israel. Then Paul says they had obtained the services of God. The service of God deals with the Levitical tribe. Chosen to serve the tabernacle. You have the tribes. There were four families in that tribe. You have the Merites, the Gershites, the Kohathites, and the family of Aaron, who was the high priest, to be the mediators, the go-between, to offer sacrifice, and to bring reconciliation between man and God until the ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews clearly is the interpretation of the Old Testament as the commentary on the book of Leviticus. It is the fulfillment of it. Everything in the book of Hebrews says, everything pointed to Christ, shadows of things to come. The promise regards the incarnation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh and beheld His glory. He was only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1, 1, 14. Wow. 
The phrase teaches the faithfulness of God. It relates to the ancestry of the patriarchs, the fathers, the line of David. The title Christ is anointed Messiah. And then notice, Paul says they obtain God in their midst. These are all the privileges. Who is overall the eternally blessed God? Amen. Who is overall? He's all powerful. He's all present. He's all knowing. Who is eternal? He is without beginning or end. He dwells outside of man's time domain, eternal present. Who is God? This is one of the strongest statements of the deity of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Literally, the Greek translation of this is, who is God over all, blessed forever, or the one who is above all, who is God. That's who became flesh, God. He is creator of all things. He's controller of all things. He is provider of all things. And he is a redeemer to reconcile all beings. He is a judge of all sinners and saints. No one above him. And so Paul acknowledges all these things he has stated as preparatory, as privileges given to Israel that they received their Messiah. But what did they do? They rejected Messiah. He's going to go on to say this. But he wants to make it very clear that what he's going to say is out of all love and compassion and passion for Israel to be saved. Their privileges brought responsibility. Clearly throughout the Old Testament it was stated. Listen to the words of Jesus, Luke 12, 48. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, to him they will ask the more. Each of us as Christians have the incredible privilege of knowing the truth of God's word and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What a, what a privilege. We're to grow in our faith. We're to develop in our faith. We're to mature in our faith. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, we're told. Probable for doctrine, reproof, correction. Instruction and righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly furnished unto every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. God's word. How long have you known Jesus Christ? Are you living up to that? Are you 20 years old in the Lord? Are you, have you grown, developed, and matured 20 years? Or are you still wet in your pants and scraping your knees? Is your vocabulary filled with ambulance? Listen to Ezekiel 18, 23. God speaking. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord Yahweh God of him, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Why? Why would you die? Turn and live. That's God's plea. That's our plea. Not because we think we're better. Not because we think we are elite. No. We're just like you. We used to be lost. Now we're saved by the grace of God. It's the passion of the believer. Here's Paul. Laying it out. The genuine proclamation of Paul's love was marked by his list of privileges regarding Israel. If you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ, and you've been hearing the gospel for years, and you keep rejecting, that privilege is marked against you. Every time you hear, your heart gets harder. If you hear one time, that would be sufficient to incriminate you, to judge you. Wow. This is Paul's genuine proclamation of love for Israel. Verified by the three facts, Paul's oath regarding Israel, Paul's passion regarding Israel, and Paul's list of privileges 
regarding Israel. Listen to me. Paul is saying, you're busted. Now let me show you how you're busted. And he's going to go on. But love is not the issue. It's the sin against love by the land, by the nation of Israel. Sinning against God's love of all he's given to them. Pastor Xavier Reese with a powerful reminder of the danger of refusing the love of God for salvation. And if you'd like a copy of today's study to dig deeper or perhaps pass on to a friend, it's titled, Lovingly Committed to Israel. You can request a CD for just $4. And by the way, this will include everything we heard the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is, Lovingly Committed to Israel, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com